Stay in the know this summer with a membership to the DSR Network. For more than five years, Deep State Radio has been on top of all the key foreign policy and national security stories impacting the world. We're grateful to our members who make all of this possible and hope that you will consider supporting our work by becoming a member. Members get access to our expanded offering of exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to participate in discussions via our member Slack community, our weekly member briefings, and our DSR Daily Brief newsletter, delivered to your inbox each evening. Members also receive all of our content via private member feed that you can add to your podcast app of choice. Help us celebrate our five years together by becoming a member. Join now for just $5 per month or $50 per year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. Thank you very much. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. I am your host, David Rothkopf, and we are joined today, because it's that time of the week, of course, by my co-host, Dr. Kavita Patel, formerly of the Obama White House, practicing physician, who will be with us for a while. Why won't you be with us for the whole podcast, Kavita, and make this compelling. Make it make it believable. Monkeypox, Allison and Frank understand it's the healthcare version of the January 6th, each of the surprise little pearls in January 6th. And the administration declaring a public health emergency is kicking up a lot of, of dust. So well, we'll miss you when you're gone. Glad you're here. We are also joined by two friends. One is Allison Gill, who's host of the Daily Beans podcast. Hi, Allison. How are you? I'm good. And and I'm so glad that uh, Kavita is on this because I, it makes me feel safer <laughs> as an American. that We now have an administration that puts actual knowledgeable doctors uh, on briefing calls about diseases. So thank you. I, I feel the same way. And I'm sure our other guest uh, does. That's Frank Foglusi. Frank is a National security contributor and regular columnist for NBC News and MSNBC. Previously, he was the assistant director for counterintelligence at the FBI. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm well, and I'm eager to hear what Kavita will be telling all of us on cable television as she covers the public health emergency declaration. Well, Kavita, I'm going to turn it over to you. We were were going to talk to Frank and AG about all the developments that there seem to be in, in, in the legal world, particularly pertaining to Trump and January 6th. And I have a long list. So we, you know, even when you're off dealing with monkeypox, I will just continue to pepper them with questions. But since you're going to go do that, let me let you start. So there's so much to talk about around January 6th. And uh, Frank and Allison are two of my favorite people to both read and listen to, because I am dying to know not only what uh, you, I've heard both of you speak about in different settings regarding the latest developments on January 6th, and then I can't help but ask about your take, Frank, and I'll turn to you right now, 
about what we're uncovering slowly around the DHS watchdog, lack of oversight, the deletion of, of secret service texts, and how we know that that's the tip of the iceberg. And then just to make time efficient, and then Allison, feel free to comment on that, but it would be wonderful. I've enjoyed in your pod hearing where we win. So going from here and how we think about all of this combined with what has happened in Kansas, some primary victories, these two, these things seem to all kind of come together for me to feel like we have a tailwind the Democrats can take a hold of and actually do something meaningful in terms of reforms at our elections, thinking about state accountability for Trump and his merry band of idiots. So Frank, I want to start with you about your thoughts around the watchdog texts, et cetera, and then Allison. Yeah, sure. So much happening so rapidly, even for those of us in the business of keeping up, it's been hard to keep up. And, and of course, you always have to realize we're looking at two parallel tracks. You've got the select committee and what they're doing. You've got DOJ and what they increasingly seem to be doing as we get more public glimpses of it. So, you know, just what in the last couple of days, we've seen Pat Cipollini subpoenaed to a grand jury. That's going to be fascinating legally to, to watch, see how he handles that. I'm hoping he does the right thing there. We've seen even more recently uh, the select committee on the other parallel track say, hey, they're, they're very interested in getting a hold of Alex Jones's text messages. So that's fascinating as well. With regard to the continuing saga of missing and or deleted and or wiped devices and text messages within the DHS and now within the Pentagon, I've been very cautious until just recently to say, look, never, never assume malicious intent when you can get to uh, a human ineptitude, particularly when you're de- uh, dealing with government bureaucracies, of which I was a part of uh, for 25 years. So there's that, right? I know what it's like to leave organizations, agencies, offices within the FBI, and, and even within the major corporate world. Once I retired, they take your device, they wipe it, but they do, with regard to the government, they are required to archive it. And the FBI does claim that it archives. It has its own problems doing that. But it does. DOJ does seem to do that better than most. So it's looking more and more as we hear not only Secret Service, but DHS headquarters and now the Pentagon at high levels, all of whom, by the way, it makes a difference in the government at what rank and level you're at with regard to requirements to archive and store. So once you're on the seventh floor at FBI headquarters, for example, your communications are all emails, texts, they're all going to the National Archives for perpetuity. Same with the highest level of the Pentagon, same with the highest level of DHS. So I am now leaning more toward um, some kind of deliberate effort. And now when you throw in that the IG himself, who, you know, IGs are supposed to be the pristine, neutral arbiters um, and the the, the folks who mitigate waste, fraud, and abuse. But when you you look at who this guy is, when you see that he was an, an advisor to Governor Ducey in Arizona, when you see that his PhD is from an unaccredited, at the time, unaccredited mail order university, I've said publicly this guy would not actually get a background clearance or even get into the application process at the FBI. They don't take diploma mill degrees so for unaccredited institutions, yet he was put in charge of waste, fraud, and abuse at the IG. We got problems there uh, at DHS. So I'm now far more committed, real quickly. I'm thinking. Some of this is actually malicious, deliberate intent. I also am not hearing enough. Here's a little tease for what may come soon. 
I'm not hearing enough about the chief information officer at Secret Service. And um, people need to take a look at him and look at where he came from and look at who put him in that key position at Secret Service. That's all I'm going to say for now. Wonderful. And Allison, before I can't help but do this because it was one of my favorite tweets. And uh, I, I hope that you said it, but I know it was the Attorney General Beastie Boys. I'm the DOJ and I subpoenaed Cipollone because he's the cheese and I'm the macaroni. And uh, that for me is my intro to you. So thank you. Yeah. And I hope you hear more from Attorney General Beastie Boys. Frankly, that is the finest tweet I've ever crafted. And it, it, I have to be honest, David has some beauties. Frank, of course, <clears throat> always delivers. That that actually was my favorite. <laughs> well, you say you say AJ, you say it so humbly as well. I just don't understand the the, the low response. Um, <laughs> it's better than people are acting. No, um, I want to just piggyback on on what Frank was saying. I, I was kind of on board with uh, this is all malfeasance from the beginning, and, and the reason is is because going back a couple of years, Donald Trump, if you remember, fired and replaced multiple inspectors general, some that were looking over the intelligence community because he, you know, handed over that whistleblower information that got him impeached. Atkinson, fine at the DOD, who was going to overlook COVID fraud, waste and abuse, and including health and human services because she came out and said COVID was a problem. We had Department of Transportation IG who was canned because they were looking into Elaine Chow, who is Mitch McConnell's wife, uh, head of Department of Transportation, and of course, DHS, uh, Inspector General. And Dick Durbin just called for the Pentagon Inspector General to look into what's going on with Cash Patel and Chris Miller and General Piot, if anyone remembers him from the testimony. He was one of the people on the call with General Flynn and McCarthy to refuse to send out uh, National Guard troops on January 6th because of optics. And I just want to caution Dick Durbin to task Sean O'Donnell, who is the current acting DOD Inspector General, who is acting as that in that role unlawfully, as founded by the GAO, much like Chad Wolf and uh, his his deputy were found to be acting unlawfully, violation of the Vacancies Act. No, can you have somebody else investigate that? Can we have the Department of Justice maybe come in, maybe uh, appoint a U.S. attorney the way that Barr appointed a U.S. attorney to look into Flynn and another U.S. attorney to look into the Russia investigation, investigating the oranges. Of the investigation. I just want to caution Democrats not to put too much faith in these Trump appointed inspectors general. And I frankly don't think that they should be here anymore. That accountability is going to be important, but it's not going to come before the midterms. And I hope people realize that. And I hope people don't vote based on coup accountability prior to the midterms. But and I think Kansas, as you mentioned, showed us a shot across the bow, absolute blowout, like 60, 40, 59, 41, something like that. And that is even with the Republicans sending out text messages telling people if they wanted to preserve their rights to vote yes. And so I would I would be curious to see what the numbers would have been if they hadn't sent out those text messages. But that sent, I think, a huge message to the Republicans who now are, as we've said, Frank, you and I've talked about this, they're the dog that has caught the car with regards to overturning Roe v. Wade, and they're going to have to face that in November. And I think they have a very big uphill battle, and I hope Democrats can tailor their messages to freedom and choice and taking away our, our choice and couple that with all the book burning and not wanting to teach history and anti-trans bills, anti-LGBTQ plus bills, Justice Thomas coming out and saying that everything's on the chopping block except for loving v. Virginia, odd. So I think that we just need to tailor those messages, get the sharp point on it, 
maybe pass this budget reconciliation, give cinema whatever she wants. I don't care. And uh, see if we can get a couple more ticks in the W column going into this midterm. But I think that Roe is going to be the driving force. I love it. I'll just say before I hand to David, it was interesting to see some breakdown in polling in Kansas that showed that these were suburban women who were already registered Republicans that kind of put into, and we know that that's the case, just given the demographics in many parts of Kansas. So I think to your point that that was a show of force in a way that we cannot underinvest in and the Democrats need to pay close attention. Yeah, by the way, the turnout in Kansas was something like twice what a primary turnout yeah, normally which is. is. Incredible. And something like 20 to 30% of the voters only voted on this one issue, didn't vote for anything else. So it's clear that it matters when one political party seems content to take away the rights of people. Please take care of us all. Monkeypox sounds really ominous. And it's not, but I, it's not <laughs> ominous. But. But there will be some things that actually help us try to do something about it. So it's, but don't be, don't be afraid. It's not ominous. All right. Okay, Bye yeah. everyone. I'm in my basement and I'm not coming out till you say it's yeah, okay. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. So I have this long list and as it happens, Kavita started right where I was going to start, which was Texas DOD, DHS and secret service. And then it morphed into the Kufari thing. Um, and the, there was a Washington post uh, story today talking about, some of the problems in his past. And that, you know, led into a couple of other things. AG touched upon something. Maybe, maybe I can ask you about it, Frank. And I've then got about 15 questions more. But um, why are these IGs still the IG? Yeah, I, uh, I texted. It wasn't, you know, at the level of AG's masterpiece about uh, <laughs> macaroni and cheese. But I texted that we don't need these folks in place anymore. And, and, and AG just said it as well. I, I've researched, my research these days consists of picking up the phone and calling people who know more than I do. I researched the question of whether or not there's a reason why these IGs can't be terminated. And the answer I got from both experts was there is no reason. It's a process, but there were some people saying, hey, there has to be cause and the cause has to be substantive and it's got to go to Congress. Yes, yes, Congress would have to, you know, the House would have to weigh in, but the president can say, I don't like the way you look today, and that's it. It does not have to be uh, gross uh, misconduct or anything like that. It could be strategic differences, ideologies. He can say goodbye, and he should to every inspector general still in place appointed by Trump. Totally agree with that. You know, AJ, when I look at this, I'm kind of with you. I, it seemed pretty fishy to me from the outset. Frank was being very prudent and methodical in assessing it, but that's what he's trained to do. And I'm trained to jump to conclusions. And so I, that's what, what I did. But I have to say, when I look at whose texts seem to have been erased, it looks like a map of a conspiracy. I mean, the way I look, you know, you sort of say, oh, those guys were in on this too. And these guys are in on this too. And I can say, based on conversations we've had here on and off the air with guests, that there was one conversation, and Kavita was party to the conversation, in which certain of the F Secret Service folks whose, whose files disappeared, when they would go by other people in the White House who are on sort of the other team, the people would stop talking because they knew those Secret Service folks were working for Team Trump and not working for the administration. I was just wondering what your reaction is to 
how these disappeared texts provide a kind of overview of the breadth of the conspiracy. Yeah. And, and it makes sense that they would stop talking. You know, I spent 10 years as a comedian and, and there's a comedian named Carlos Mencia who's known to steal material. So there was a special light in the room that lit up when Carlos Mencia was in the building. So you switched to crowd work so he wouldn't steal your jokes. It's it makes sense to me. Right. And Frank, you know, we were in the in the work uh, for the government for a long time. If you don't want to put it in an email, perhaps something like, hey, if I can get on that pardon list, let me know. You pick up the phone and you make a call, right? Because email, and, and at least in every single other administration and every person who's a career professional in the government knows that once it's once you go to paper, once you put it in writing, it is an official record and it is subject to record retention rules. Unless, of course, you're Matt Gates, in which case you want to find a live mic. You just, yeah, and, that, and then admit that things are being recorded and then try to say it was recorded illegally, whatever. But to Frank's point, even if you don't need cause, I mean, we have cause, right? The, the government administration office just determined that these people are serving in violation of the Vacancies Act. I would, one of my first things I would have done is gone in there to see who was violating the Vacancies Act and, and straighten up the House. What I'm hoping is that uh, <laughs> the Alex Jones text messages might be able to uh, fill in some gaps, but he he wouldn't be able to fill in the Secret Service gaps, which are crucial to what movements were happening that day. He wouldn't be able to fill in what Chad Wolf and Cuccinelli were talking about. He wouldn't be able to fill in what the Pentagon and McCarthy and Flynn and Piot were discussing about whether or not to to send out the National Guard. And I'm glad that the January... Don't, don't, don't you mean Flynn and Flynn and Piot? Yes, uh, yes, of course. Uh, I mean, that's the straw man, right? I'm glad that the, the January 6th committee is going to be focusing on the law enforcement response come September. That's one of the things they're looking into. But these missing text messages, like you, Frank, I've been part of, uh, I've swapped my devices, I've upgraded my devices. We always, and, and it wasn't us, it wasn't left up to the individual to back up our data. The IT administrator did that. And the IT administrator was the person who had the access to do that. So my next step in this investigation, if I were looking, if I weren't a, a Trump appointed inspector general and I was the Department of Justice, I would be calling in these IT specialists to be to find out why they decided after the first guy and the second guy and the third guy and all data was lost that they just kept going until everybody's phone was wiped and didn't back this stuff up. The decision to leave it to individual employees to decide what they want to save or not is, is really troublesome. And that's one of the key indicators that maybe there's malintent here. And the other thing, you know, this whole issue, having been in that law enforcement, federal law enforcement role, having worked alongside Secret Service numerous times, major special events, investigations, they're, they're, they're on all the joint terrorism task forces. They certainly were on those that, that I supervised. This text thing. So, Here's the deal with a lot of agents. Yes, you're not supposed to use your, your text for government, official government communications, but that's precisely why these texts would be so important. Because as you know, we've alluded to, it's things like, oh my God, he's gone crazy. Or, you know, there's way too many guns here. We've got to get them out. And that debate that occurs, that's so-called not official, right, amongst a team that you want to see. Also, I've had a couple of people who are credible approach me and say, you know, 
we hope DOJ gets involved here because they'll do something that the IG won't do, which is they'll subpoena their personal devices. Because m- many agents I know carry two phones. Now, my God, there's enough to carry on a Secret Service agent's person, a gun or two, and radio and transmitters and handcuffs and body armor and Lord knows what. But yes, still, many carry two phones. And I and many FBI agents carried two phones. They just did not want the FBI seeing whatever they're doing with their girlfriend or pick up a quart of milk on the way home or anything else, right? And I get it. I get it. But that's why we need DOJ to get a hold of their personal devices. Yeah. And we've seen what happens when texts do end up in an investigation and, and pertaining to girlfriends and so forth. Would you be referring to two, to two former FBI employees, perhaps? I am. Yeah, possibly. So we've touched upon this, AG, um, possibly did it gingerly because you have, you were texting Alex Jones. You have, if you, if you, that's uh no, you were not one of the people texting Alex Jones. No, I'm marked safe from texting <laughs> Alex Jones. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of mind boggling, but just touch upon it as we got other things to go upon. Why, why might that be relevant to the broader investigation? Well, the the Sandy Hook lawyers were opened up a, a Dropbox portal for sharing discovery and and found his entire phone, and then reached out to Jones's lawyer and said, "Hey, we've got this. It's got medical records, financials in it. We just need to let you know." And then Texas law says after ten days, if there's no response, then that is free and clear. And so they brought it up in discovery, used it as perjury, but. What I immediately noted was that two years, it was between two and three years worth of text messages and emails and whatever covers January 6th. And we know that there was chatter between Alex Jones and Mark Meadows. We know there was chat because of a DOJ filing that says that. We know there was Alex Jones and Roger Stone. It could implicate the Oath Keepers. I think DOJ, who's about to go to trial with the Oath Keepers, wants to get that and have asked for those communications as soon as possible because they need to hand those over as part of their discovery if they get them before trial. Because otherwise, there's a you know there could be a Brady violation there. They have to hand all that information over to Discovery because Alex Jones was communicating probably with Oath Keepers or at least people in their sphere. If this lawyerly error leads to blowing this wide open by being able to get Alex Jones communications that they might not have otherwise been able to get from Bannon and Ali Alexander and, you know, all these other folks that would frankly make my day. You know, Frank, I, I, you know, as a former FBI agent, I imagine sometimes you go home and you'd say, this job is hard. You know, this is hard work tracking down global criminal masterminds, if only once there were a really big case that involved a lot of jerks, you know, people who were overtly idiots, you know, a Matt Gates or a Alex Jones or a Roger Stone or some of the other folks. There are so many people in this investigation who you, it just seems like would be really bad keeping the operational security of a crime conspiracy functioning the way you'd want it. Steve Bannon's another one. In some ways, it's more surprising that we don't know more at this point, given who these characters are, right? Boy, this is an interesting question because you could, you could see this two ways, 
as an investigator, and it's it gets to the heart of our system and investigating anything that has a political bent to it. But it's the, you know the free and open society we live in makes it both easy to investigate something like this and and difficult as well because you ha- you're you're clearly facing the challenge that hey these are true believers that we're operating on uh, police and that's why they're so open about it. Why would I be so open about it if I was actually trying to hide something? It's a difficult situation. Yeah, yep, there's a lot of jerks out there. And yes, getting a hold of their communications and records is uh, relatively easy. Making the case that they had nefarious intent is harder. It's quite a challenge here with people like Roger Stone, Steve Bannon, and, and just making the case and then convincing a jury, convincing DOJ first to pull the trigger on these folks for some of the very same reasons we talked about exercising freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. It's got to be incredibly confounding right now to be assigned to the January 6 cases with regard to this high level. And I know they're digging and I know the grand juries are working, but it's, it's harder than you think. It's because of who they are, because of the openness and brazenness of what they're doing. It's, it's easy and hard at the same time. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. So, A.G., there are a couple of grand juries out there percolating, apparently, for the DOJ. We know of two, I I guess, that are percolating. And one of them has now subpoenaed Pat Cipollone, as we referred to earlier. He made quite an impression to the January 6th committee. But there were many times when the January 6th committee asked him questions that he would demur and say, well, I'm not going to answer that question because it pertains to private conversations with the president of the United States or, you know, implying there was some kind of privilege. There is no privilege, not when a a crime is involved and not when the current administration asserts there is no privilege. What do you think DOJ is going to go for and potentially get out of Cipollone that January 6th committee didn't? It shouldn't be the case that a grand jury has more power than a congressional subpoena. But it does the DO with the weight of the DOJ behind behind a grand jury subpoena, and the fact that we've you know we've got stories now that the DOJ has been prepping for a privilege fight, particularly when it, they they you know they brought in Pence counsel and chief of staff Jacob and Mark Short, and they had said that there were you know they weren't going to testify to conversations that they had directly with the president because of uh, executive privilege concerns. And so I imagine they've already, the DOJ's already won this fight and they've weighed in on the Meadows case, you know, where Meadows is trying to keep his stuff from going over to the January 6th committee saying that, you know, we've decided there is no absolute immunity here. I think that since they've already fought this battle and won, it's gone all the way up to the Supreme Court with regards to executive privilege being held by the current president. And there's no absolute immunity on multiple occasions that this court battle will be relatively quick if Cipollone and Pat Philbin, by the way, who's very well regarded in D.C., and then, of course, bringing back in and uh, Jacob and um, Short, if they continue to, to press this privilege idea, which doesn't exist, then I think that we will see a court battle, but I think it will be very expedited and extremely brief because this Supreme Court, this one, has already said that this kind of privilege doesn't exist. But we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. And and I'm hoping I'm really just hoping that they don't 
invoke this privilege. Maybe there'd be arguments within the grand jury uh, hearing saying, you know, hey, look, I'm, I'm reading to you this Ninth Circuit appeals, Court of Appeals finding that White House counsel, you know, they have a different level of, of attorney-client privilege and crime fraud exception where both parties don't have to be in on the crime, just one. And then it's, you know, it's not privileged. So we'll see. I don't know how these grand jury testimonies go. I don't know if they can solve it within the grand jury or if it's going to have to go to court, but I think it'll be pretty, I think it'll be pretty brief. Interesting. So this is a point in our podcast where we normally take a little bit of a break. And I say to all those in the general public, thanks for joining us. And I say to all those who are not members, this is a time to become a member. Go to the dsrnetwork.com, click on membership, pay, I think, $5 a month, and, and you get tons and tons of bonus content. And to the rest of you, we say, hang on, because we'll be right back. And hang on, we'll be right back. This is Kavita Patel, co-host of the Words Matter podcast. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I talk about the issues facing our country as we head into the midterms and what our leaders are saying and doing about them. In a world filled with alternative facts and fake news, we try to cut through the noise to bring you the facts about issues like the Supreme Court. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. Reproductive rights. What a failure of our system. What a failure. COVID. We had a million people or more who died, more than we've seen in our wars. And it's like it shrugged off. Subscribe today to get our latest episode and join us each Friday to get our latest analysis. See you then.